welcome to the Craft Beer Showdown Podcast, where information is king, drinking is mandatory, and the beer is always flowing. Now, let's check in with your hosts and see what's on draft in this session. Welcome to episode 17 of the Craft Beer Showdown Podcast. In this episode, I sat down with Dan Regan, formerly of Real Big Fish, and soon-to-be pro-brewer at Liberation Brewing Company. Dan took a little bit of time out of his busy day being back home with his family after leaving Real Big Fish to talk about everything from the history of Real Big Fish, how he got started in music, all the way through his home brewing, and now his future plans of being in the brewing business with Liberation Brewing Company. Great conversation. I really enjoyed talking with Dan today. Could have definitely sent this podcast into two or more hours. Tried to keep it a little more focused to make sure that everyone doesn't get bored. And really wanted to make sure that you got to hear about the beer and the brewing and not just the band. Which, as a you know a fan of Real Big Fish since they started, I could talk about for hours just alone. So sit back, relax, listen to Dan talk to me about everything from ska to brewing. Enjoy. Hello. Hello. Hey, Brian, what's happening? Not much. How are things down your way? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, that's good to hear. <laughs> just just finished the uh, tornado that is feeding two kids. <laughs> Jeez, how old are your kids? I've got a five-year-old daughter and a five-month-old son. Wow. And so she's all squirrely and running around and... <laughs> He's just screaming the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I, I give you a lot of credit. I don't deal with kids too well. <laughs> I'm sure it's different when it's your own, but... Yeah, yeah. I usually enjoy it, but I've noticed now that I have a day job, my nerves are a little more frayed. <laughs> yeah, I saw. So you're uh, working, uh, selling minis. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, just finished up some of the training today. I, I suppose I probably have more, but... Yeah, they're, they're taking a shot with me and uh, letting me jump in after having absolutely no experience selling anything. <laughs> well, I mean, you were on the road a lot. I'm sure you saw a lot of minis. Yeah, I definitely. And I, and I I think the way I sold myself to them <laughs> was that uh, I've spent, you know, when I added up the amount of weeks I've spent in uh, sunny England, uh, it's it came out to about three years so, uh, I, I sort of sold myself on the fact that I understood English culture and was a big fan. You know, if you can call it culture. Hey, guys, love you. Um, you yeah, know, it seems, and, like, uh, uh, it seems like you guys really liked hanging out in England. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a great place. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't know I would like it uh, at the beginning. You know, when we first started going over there, it was mm. a bit gloomy because we always go over in the winter. But over the years, I just met so many great people and uh, kept in contact and started treating it like another home. Yeah, my uh, fun fact: my sister actually saw you guys in England when she was going to school there. And oh yeah, brought home a, a, a sticker and a, an autograph from uh, Aaron actually. <laughs> oh, cool! What was it at a university, or was it she just went to a show while she was over? Uh, it was she. She just went to a show. She went to yeah. um, King's College London, so it was just oh um, yeah, right. So yeah, that actually kind of leeways into what i wanted to start talking about uh, sure nice nice intro there yeah just segue right in you know 
<laughs> you know, I, I wanted to talk to you about beer and the brewery and home brewing and, and of course. but I'd be very remiss if I didn't spend at least a minute or two talking about real big fish because, you know, one hundred percent, you know, huge fan of real big fish and me too. You know, of course, since <laughs> you know you're one of the. You were until very recently one of the only remaining mem- original members. Yeah, pretty big fan of yours too. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I started listening to Real Big Fish. I would say pretty much from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, oh wow! Awesome. They, you guys, actually helped me figure out what kind of music I like. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I feel like I feel like. We were sort of that, or we are, uh, they are, uh, it's, it's getting hard to figure out what to say in these circumstances, yeah. but the real big fish uh, seem like that sort of band for people, like the same way pot or something is the gateway drug or whatever they would say in, in the D.A.R.E. program or something like that. Yeah. Real big fish was the first band, I think, for a lot of people that was sort of, um, and I think it was like this for me, too. Like, I'd just gotten into punk. And, you know, when you play trombone, you, you listen to music with trombones in it. And, and so I was listening to a lot of jazz and classical music and things like that. And then my friends, we were, like, um, riding the city bus to orchestra practice uh, zero period before school. And, and uh, they said, hey, you play bass, right? We're starting a punk band. Listen to these five records. And it was, like, Fugazi Repeater and Bad Religion Generator and, you know, a bunch of records. And, and uh I was like, what is this? Oh my gosh, this is blowing my mind. And I mean, within a, a week or two, they dragged me to a coffee shop in Long Beach and Real Big Fish was playing. They didn't, they didn't really have a horn section or anything, but people were still dancing to the music. And I was like, oh my, hmm. dancing to music, just like, you know, the swing music I like, but actually a current band, you know, young people dancing. And uh, uh, I was at a record store that weekend and saw a flyer that said real big fish looking for horn section. So I went to the audition and got the gig when I was 16 and, and it just sort of led to everything else. And, and I think that's just an age when people first start to figure out what they like, you know, they're finally not listening to their parents' records as much. And they're like, what, what's What am I going to be? You know? (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it, you know, really started me kind of understanding what ska was and, you know, hearing the different kinds made me had to figure, you know, forced me to figure out the different types. And then, you know, seeing you guys play, I'd see punk bands play. And I was like, wow, I like that too. And just kind of got me started in the right direction. Who knows what I'd be listening to if it wasn't for you. (laughs) Yeah. You certainly don't want to listen to what they feed you. (laughs) Um, so end of like Miley Cyrus. Yeah. (laughs) How long do you, have you done the math? How long were you actually in in the band? Uh, it was just shy of twenty years, so I would have hit my twenty-year birthday on uh, probably mid-February. Uh, and I was trying to stretch it until then, you know. When I but I got an offer for a job at home, and uh, you know the pay was just about what I was making in the band. It was kind of the sign I was looking for. You know, um, I didn't want to bail on the guys and and everything, but. You know, when you, when I, like I never went to college, and uh, I've never done anything else than be in the band. And I figured my odds of getting a job that paid like that, the uh, were slim to none. So I had to just jump on it. And uh, I, I looked down the barrel of another year of touring. You know, we were just getting our calendar set for the for 
the rest of the year, pretty much up until summer. Uh, at that point, it was um, it was uh, after the Warp Tour this summer or this last summer. So I was looking, you know, we had planned our next year leading up to the next summer, and I was like, whoa, you know, there's there's no break in here, and I'm I'm not even going to be able to look for a job. So I should just really bite the bullet and go for it. And just like when I joined the, uh, not when I joined the band, I joined the band in high school, but there sort of came this point when I was 18 and uh, sort of spinning my tires. I was going to city college, so I, I lied when I, I guess when I said I didn't go to college. I went for about a semester. And uh, the band, we, we were, Aaron and I were going out in the, um, on the weekends and, and uh, uh, doing, I guess, interviews and meetings with record labels trying to get signed to record deals. And, uh, and we finally, we finally got something. We got a manager, and we got we he he found us uh, some interested record label type people. And so I I kind of slept in one day, and my mom came in and said, "Aren't you going to call? Aren't you going to class?" And I said, "No, I think uh, I think we're going to sign a record deal and go on tour. And I don't think I have to do this anymore." Huh. And uh, so I was 18 when that happened, and you know, totally changed my life around. You know, I was a hippie guy with dreads and the whole thing, and I cut my hair and put on a suit and became a rude boy and uh and led a, a life that I, you know, totally didn't expect myself to lead. So, 18 years later, uh I did the same thing. Not that I cut my hair, but hmm. I dropped dropped out of the band and uh, instead of dropping out of school and changed my life completely and I'm a working stiff now, you know. <laughs> you know what though? I mean, you did it for the right reasons, you know. I hope so. I don't know. Nights like this when they're just screaming at me, I I go, boy, it'd be nice to be in Boston right now drinking beers with my friends. But (laughs) (laughs) no, I love them. (laughs) Yeah. Eh, You know what? They'll be thankful in a couple years. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then they'll. Yeah, I mean, I don't regret it. I don't hate you. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. No, I don't regret it at all. I mean, I, I, I just knew it was the right time because. You know, I didn't really have those feelings of regret. I wasn't. I don't sit around thinking about what it's like. I mean, I I text the guys every day. I'm I'm. In fact, I probably bug them. You know, I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? Are you guys having fun? But it's not from a place of uh, of me missing the life. It's just, you know, we were friends for you know, practically married to six guys for uh, for years, and so you just get used to talking to certain people all the time about things. And, and uh, I'm glad they're out there having a good time. So okay, so band was about you know, eighteen, nineteen years. Um, when did you yeah? When did you start playing trombone? Was that kind of a you know a whole life kind of thing or? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I I come from a family of musicians, and and uh, my aunt uh, is a or she just recently retired, but she's a music teacher in the school system in Long Beach, and so she would sort of bring instruments home, and 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 they knew that in the school district you started. I think you started violin and cello in second grade, but third grade you could start wind instruments and uh, something like that. And so the year before you were allowed to start in school, they started bringing wind instruments home because I guess I expressed that I wanted to play some, some. Oh, I wanted to play saxophone. I thought it looked real cool, and you know it was the '80s and bands actually had saxophones and stuff like that. Rock bands did, and. Uh, and so uh, it was such a popular instrument at the schools that she couldn't find one to bring home at first. So she brought home a trombone and then a trumpet and then finally a saxophone. And after I played the saxophone for a couple of weeks, I was like, I think, I think I like the trombone best. And, and I guess there was this collective sigh of relief in my family because, 
I, I've always been a goofy guy, and so it, it, it just matched my personality. And, and as, as the years have gone on, there's, I've definitely seen, and there's been studies about this, but there's definitely a personality type that goes with each instrument. And to zero in on it when you're like nine years old or whatever is pretty hilarious. Yeah, that's so yeah I, pl- I played all the way through school and the school, public school music programs. Well, that's pretty awesome. There was actually that, you know, the not only the family there to help you, but kind of the the school programs too, because I know that can be kind of. Yeah, yeah, they, they don't have they don't have very good budgets usually, and um, uh, for a lot of kids, it's just a distraction. It's a way to get out of class and stuff. But you know, I um, I was lucky enough to to uh, even though it's Long Beach, California, it gets a lot of uh, I don't know. I, um, it gets known for things like gangster rap and whatever, but it's a it's a pretty cool town, and the, it's a definitely a cool town. And the uh, and the schools uh, really appreciate music, and I and I just happened to fall in with a great group of people that I followed most of my life. I'm still friends with most of the people that that uh, I first started playing uh, music with in elementary school. You know, even though some of them are doctors and and uh, scientists and all kinds of things like that, like we still get on the phone and talk about uh, French horns and trombones and things like that. And, uh, you know, like all the way up into high school, you're nervous about going to high school as a freshman and all that, but band camp starts a month before school. And so you really put your friend group together before anyone else gets to school. They, I remember thinking the first day of school, uh, all these other kids are nervous and I already know a hundred people cause I'm in the, I'm in the marching band, you know, like, and we had a big marching band. <laughs> So I don't know. There's power in that. I think you know. You always, you always have, uh, you always have your comrades around you. Oh yeah, I I agree totally. I was more of a, uh, I was more of a vocal, more singer, actor. Oh yeah, musical yeah. Kind of thing in school. Cool. So cool. Uh, I, I tried the trumpet at an early age, and it just, yeah, instruments weren't for me. Uh, yeah, the trumpet wasn't for me. Definitely, I've got big lips, and so it, I just swallowed the whole thing, and I couldn't get it. <laughs> So uh, last kind of thing about band, and then I want to get to, you know, the kind of the meat of the talk and the, the oh beer. yeah, the beer of the talk. Um, the what I thought was kind of funny was in trying to do a little bit of research before I talked to you today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just did a Google search for Dan Regan Liberation Brewing. Yeah, and most of what I found were people just so sad that you were leaving the band. Yeah, oh, it's so touching. And yeah, and I I didn't. I couldn't find one single thing that said, you know, oh, thank God he's leaving. Uh, oh, so oh, that's sweet. <laughs> I yeah, that I was surprised. I was surprised. I over the years, you know, I've it, it's been strange. My experience has been while while everyone's always been really nice, um, it's only been in the last couple of years that that I felt like um, people remembered me, you know, and it was. It was because it it came down to me and Aaron, <laughs> and so it was like, oh, Dan and Aaron are the last two in the band. But I felt like the whole time before that, because I would have purple hair in one video and a mohawk in the next video and an afro on the next record or whatever, people would always come up to me and go, yeah, you know, I love Real Big Fish. Before you were in the band, I used to see them in Denver, and I'm like, no, trust me, man, I was in the band. <laughs> and, uh, and so I just got used to being sort of the chameleon and and like. And you know, I think it comes along with being a trombone player too. You know, you're you're used to sort of playing harmony and backing up, and you know, the trumpets or the saxophones or the violins or whatever take the melodies. And it's just it's a personality thing, you know. 
But then when Scott finally left, finally, when Scott left, finally, <laughs> oh, I missed him so much. I didn't mean finally. When Scott left, I stepped up to do more of the um, uh, theatrical, verbal sparring with Aaron on stage, the joke telling and the uh, the sort of MC type duties, you know, when he would go tune his guitar and things like that. And uh, because I'm such a ham, it sort of hmm. felt natural. And uh, and at that point, uh, I think I, I think uh, people started to remember me. You know, I stepped out a bit and and, and that kind of thing. But but yeah. So when when uh, I uh, made the announcement, and then when this, well, especially when the band made the announcement, um, I mean, hundreds of people were writing me. Uh, telling me how sad they were going to be, and 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 also congratulating me and, and saying I made the the right decision, and it was really supportive, and um, and I mean that was really touched by all that because I wasn't sure, you know, I kept telling everybody, ah, no one's going to remember, I'm the trombone player, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, and I'd be lying if I said that wasn't what got me to contact you to to do the show, which I'm very thankful for. Sure, yeah, I'm always available. Hey, everybody, I'm always available. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I, I kind of saw it as a sign from the gods that, um, you know, I, I, I followed you and uh, uh, Derek uh, Gibbs on uh, oh, yeah. Untapped. And oh, okay, cool. Always jealous about the, the beers you guys get, especially when you go out of the country. Oh, yeah, man. We, we made a, a serious game out of that. I think yeah. I joined first and then convinced the other guys to join. And that sort of became our bonding thing. So we would... We'd roll into a new town, and I, I'm talking the drive from the airport. Sometimes, you know, on the on the landing strip, as the plane, you know, the stewardess or the flight attendant would say, "You're not allowed to use your phones." We'd all get on our phones and go on Untapped and Beer Advocate and uh, 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 what's some of the other ones? Craft Beer Mapper Online, all these these apps and things, and sort of zero. Okay, where someone. Someone uh, text uh, the tour manager up in, uh, you know, seat seven and find out where our hotel is. And then we can figure out what around, what breweries around. Oh, there's no brewery. Oh, that's three miles away. I don't think we can walk three miles. We kind of had like a two mile radius, you know, because <laughs> uh, you have to be able to walk back. You know, that's the trouble. Yeah. And so whether it was the hotel or the gig, uh, you know, whatever, we'd go at sound, we'd finish sound checking and then go have some beers and some sausages and then go, you know, and it was just our mission for about. Uh, probably right around when Matt joined the band, a little before that. So I'd say about the last three years. And sometimes we'd we'd walk miles. Sometimes it'd be right next door, and uh, and it was all part of this. Well, I mean, we wanted to hang out, we wanted to drink beer and all that. But Untapped definitely part of it. And we we would sort of insist on you know there always being a location, always being a photo, um, and. Uh, uh, like for a lot of the badges, especially early on, where they were location-based badges, yeah, uh, or or um, uh, like um, I guess uh, the the English beers is a good example. So what you had to do like fifteen have fifteen English beers. Well, we made sure we checked into fifteen English beers in England. You know, we didn't want it to be like going down to the Whole Foods and buying a bunch of Youngs and and ciders and things like that from the American grocery store. Yeah. We were we you know, we we wanted to take that extra step. And you know, it's it's just a website. There's no rules, but we decided to play by these very strict rules. Oh, and, no, we're uh, the same way. I mean, we my yeah. friends and I do the, you know, how much how much of a sample counts as a beer and <laughs> right, right, yeah, exactly. Uh, 
if you get a sampler at the brewery, that's fine. But if you just take a sip of someone's beer, I don't know. We we have to have at least a discussion about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get some referees. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I definitely followed you guys. I was very jealous for you know for a little while there. Uh, in fact, checking out the Liberation Brewing's uh, Facebook page, I saw yeah. an interesting little video of you uh, using an ice scooper to <laughs> right. uh, pop the top of a bottle. That that's a little bit of skill. Yeah, yeah. I can use almost anything. I mean, I haven't tried on too many living things. I'm sure a goat would be easier than a nudibranch. But, you know, uh, it's kind of a game we play backstage and impresses. uh, It doesn't really impress too many people. But, you know, when you grab what it, you know, it doesn't really impress guys in bands because everyone else does it too. Uh, but but when I get home from tour and every, people are like digging through the drawers in my kitchen for a uh, an opener, and I open it on uh, you know whatever's sitting next to me, it's great to pull out something dangerous like a giant kitchen knife or something, and then you just yeah. pop the top off like oh my god you almost lost a finger. You know I'm a professional. <laughs> Mom is so proud. <laughs> These are skills you can teach your kids later. In the- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When they're old enough to drink, nine years old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, just start them with root beer. They'll be they'll be the most. Yeah, just, that's school. right. They got to practice on that uh, Weinhardt's and uh, uh, what's the Lebowski with Sioux City Sarsaparilla. <laughs> exactly. So, kind of um, with the the idea of the Untapped, and I'm sure this is an impossibly hard question. You can tell me that there is no answer to it, but um, did you have a favorite city to go to for beer? Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is really hard. I mean, I love going to, I mean, they're the big beer cities. So Portland is amazing because you can't, you can't throw a stone and not hit a brewery. And not just that, every other, I mean, even their like diviest bars have at least, eight craft beer taps it's huh. it's obscene and um and the food thing is so cool out there too that they just there's so many great restaurants and beer pairings and it's just beer culture and it's so strange people there take it for granted i mean you don't you don't find an applebee's you don't find a denny's really like their local oh let's go to the corner and have some burgers is a brew pub you know that they're just really lucky like that. The per capita level is to the point where, you know, the the, the chain restaurants have no chance because the and and it's a great argument when you're starting a brewery and you go to your city council or whatever and they're like, well, we have three breweries. And you're like, look at Portland, they've got sixty or you know whatever it is, you know, and per capita like compared to Long Beach. I mean, that's that's pretty good right there. <laughs> you know, yeah, seriously. We can do with one or two more. <laughs> Actually, we've had some great luck with the city. But um, so Portland's great. Denver's amazing. We always played uh, right down the street from this uh, Belgian bar called the the Cheeky Monk, and so that was always dangerous because you're drinking uh, twelve to fifteen percent beers before the show. <laughs> it's not it's not like throwing back a couple uh, Budweisers. I mean, it's some serious drinking. Uh, and and anytime, just the whole Denver area, right, going up to Fort Collins and all that, uh, we had, we're pretty lucky early on to meet um, Zach from uh, uh, New Belgium Brewery, oh, wow. and he would uh, come to the shows, and we'd go hang out at the brewery and, at night and, you know, play tag between the tanks and all that. Huh. 
And I think that was the first time, uh, probably about five or six years ago, that I I was behind the scenes at a brewery, and luckily it was a one that big and what and and um, uh, professional. You know, I mean, they're top of the game. They're one of the biggest of the microbreweries, and everything is just beautiful and clean. And and I remember watching. Uh, it was a Sunday. Nobody was there, and we were just kind of cruising around. And this young lady came walking up with no shoes on, and she had a a like a saison in one hand and a beautiful tulip glass, and she had this little watering can, and she was just there to water the plants. It wasn't her job; she was an employee, but it was her day off. And she just figured, oh, I'll go have a beer and water the plants, huh. you know, in in the building. And it just struck me that this was a family. It was a huge company, but this is just oh, someone needs to. I don't know. It's what I'm doing today, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I thought, just like being in a band, you know, you're a family. You all rely on each other, and you get to drink beer all day. And that's something I wanted to do. <laughs> you know, and that's I, I think that's that's a great way to describe kind of the, I would say, beer industry as a whole. Just, yeah, yeah. You know, the good bars, breweries, uh, beer reps, just kind of the the whole crowd of people. Mm-hmm. You know, if. If you're any semblance of a good person, you're pretty much welcomed with open arms and kind of brought into that family. Yeah, we've noticed with uh, just in the travels with Real Big Fish, we would um, we'd get on Twitter or uh, Facebook or whatever. Even on tap, breweries would contact us when we were checking in beers and say, hey, "You guys are having fun. Why don't you come on down to the brewery and hang out, and we'll have beers and we'll give you a tour." And uh, and uh, we did that at Odell and Scobbering, and that led, we did it at Scobbering in Durango, and that led to a, a show with them, you know, their their anniversary show. Um, I mean, it's just they're a warm crowd, and and I if, I don't know if it comes from being um, I don't want to say it just comes from being in the alcohol business and just having a good time all the time. It's it really is this sort of American entrepreneurial uh, pioneer spirit. I mean, they're sort of scrappy underdogs in a lot of ways. I mean, even the biggest companies are nothing compared to Budweiser and all that. So you just have this attitude of let's all help each other and we can all succeed together. And even as the the scene has expanded to uh, the couple thousand breweries we now have, I don't think it's it's still a warm community. I mean, to this day when, when uh, uh, Liberations Brewer and I uh, write to other breweries to find out, you know, get advice and stuff, they're they're more than helpful, you know, <laughs> they yeah. just, they, they have recipes, they have advice, they have, uh, you know, both business and, um, uh, production wise advice. I mean, it's just incredible. How, and we're talking the biggest guys. I mean, take the time. Yeah. I'm actually, um, I, I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and yeah, yeah, yeah. I work with, uh, I, I work on the board for the craft beer week that we have here every year. And one oh, awesome. of the best parts of that week is all the breweries of Pittsburgh get together and draw their names out of a hat and do collaboration beers. So they'll put five or six of them on each beer. And just seeing all those guys that technically run completely competing businesses. Sure. You know, gladly welcome all their competitors into their brewery and sit there and make a beer with them. It's, it's pretty <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's great, yeah. I, I've had some great beers in Pittsburgh. There, you know, I um, I can't think of the venue. It used to be called the like Metropolis or something like that, but it changed its names a lot. But it's in like the the sort of warehousey district with um with like the food distributors and yeah, the Strip District. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, and uh, Metropole's probably it. Met- Metropole, that was it. Yeah. And uh, uh, I remember after a show, I was just walking around there, going, "Oh, I don't know if this bar is gonna," and and going in the door and finding tons of craft taps and things like that. Like, yeah, we've actually Pittsburgh's gotten a lot better um, at the, uh-huh. in the past couple years, uh, even to the point of we have our first. Um, whiskey distillery since Prohibition and Woo! first rum distillery since Prohibition just opened. Ah, the rum. I heard it was the rum that took him. <laughs> Shiver me timbers. So little by little, we're, we're adding it back, you know, hoping someday to get close to the... That's great, yeah, the, yeah. Denver so, and all of them, but... the I know the rum tends to be like a Caribbean pirate thing, but uh, wasn't, wasn't Mike Fink a, a riverboat pirate from Pittsburgh? They could they could really capitalize on hey guys running the distillery that's my idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's actually one of my friends. I'll have to uh, I'll, I'll let him know. <laughs> Mike Fink, king of the river. I don't know <laughs> if that was just for the Disney uh, uh, David Crockett movie, but <laughs> it's close enough. We uh, we with like me. our rivers. Oh, good. <laughs> so, kind of back up a little bit more. Um, you know, just from seeing you on Twitter and and Untapped, I know you're a pretty big fan of homebrewing. Yeah. What? When did you get your start in homebrewing? Like, what? What made you decide? Yeah, you know what? I'd like to work like a fool to make, you know, a bunch of beer in my house. <laughs> I had a. I have a friend named Joel who, uh, he was dating an older woman. He wasn't quite twenty one yet, but she was, and she. The two of them got into homebrewing. They got a kit, and they uh, and they started brewing at home. And this was must have been, you know, the late '90s, I guess. So his homebrew was the first homebrew I'd ever tasted, and it was pretty good, you know, considering he was tw- wasn't 21 and probably had only had MGD at that point and stuff yeah. like that, you know. And uh, and so then, you know, years later, I'd gone on tour and tried all these beers around the country and. <clears throat> Uh, I, you know, the bug sort of was always with me. Like someday I'll start homebrewing. Someday I'll start homebrewing. And I kept putting it off because I was living in apartments and I didn't have, uh, you know, I was like, oh, what am I just going to do it in my kitchen? Where, I gonna, where I'm going to put the fermenter? Like, and then my grandfather, who was living in the same apartment building as I was, um, he, my parents had decided he was too old to drive. So they took away his car and he thus didn't really need his garage space anymore. So I said, I'll pay the extra $100 a month to the landlord if I can set up a table and, and start brewing in there. So I just got a kit off the internet and started brewing. This was probably 2005. And, uh, and I was able to kick out maybe between two and four beers a year. And that's not that many, you know, but because I would, even when we weren't heavily touring for months at a time, it was still a week here and a week there or whatever. And I, you know, scheduling just wouldn't work out where I'd up, oh, it'd be too late for me to bottle and, you know, whatever. And so I wasn't able to make as many beers as I would have liked to. Luckily I was able to go on the road and go to just about every brewery and try all the beers out there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, that's a close second. Yeah. Yeah. So in the meantime, I was, uh, sort of spreading the gospel wherever I went. And, uh, especially around home, I got a bunch of my friends home brewing and, and Joel's actually homebrewing again now uh, after all these years, and uh, and that's I think where I met 
Well, I'm going to just say his name, Eric. <laughs> He's so shy. I'm not sure he wants me to talk about him. But that's when, when I met Eric. He was sort of a friend of a friend, and we started hanging out and uh, and talking about brewing. And just over the years, we, we kept saying, well, if we had a brewery, what would it be like? You know. And then that, that just sort of compounded over the years until about two years ago when we started putting pen to paper and, you know, saying, okay, we're really going to do this. <laughs> and that's when he sort of, we, we, we decided which hat we're, we're both going to wear because I was on tour all the time and couldn't practice as much. Uh, he said, you know, we decided he would be the brewer and I would be the, the goofball that tried to get everybody's attention, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so that that's our dynamic. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm going to, I'm, helping him with recipes and going to be his assistant in the brew house. But, uh, it's, it's his, uh, his creative enterprise on the brewing side. And, uh, he's quite good. He's been, uh, brewing, you know, nearly weekly for the last three years. And is just, you know, it's, uh, He's a perfectionist, let's put it that way. He isn't the kind of brewer that, I'm just going to throw a bunch of stuff in it, and uh, my friends like it, so it's okay, you know. He's the type of guy that has us all try it, and we all sip and go, this is great, and he says, I don't believe you, and goes back and does it again, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So that's the kind of guy. I mean, that's that's what it takes, though. Like, that's the difference. Yeah, I think on the professional level, that's what it takes, you know. He's not just some good-time beer drinker guy, you know. I mean, there's lots of room for that in the world, but... If you're going to make the beer, I think you should be <laughs> pretty serious about it. <laughs> yeah. Now that you're kind of home and uh, you know around a little bit more often, are you picking back up brewing again a little bit? Yeah, it's been about a month and a half since I told the guys and and uh, that I wasn't going to go on tour anymore, and I was able to. Uh, I brewed a Belgian triple, and then uh, I brewed an IPA with all Columbus hops uh, that I actually just cracked the first one last night. It's probably got a couple days more to go. Carbonation is almost there, um, but it tastes, tastes great. And then I just got the ingredients to do a Belgian pale. A bunch of homebrewer friends and I are, are going to sort of have our own little contest and like an iron chef contest. So we're all, I think mid December going to get together with our Belgian pale recipes and uh, see who's tastes the best. I sort of fell behind because I started this new job, so I uh, I think now's the best time to get into kegging, and I'm just going <laughs> to keg it up instead of bottle it and forest carbonate it and bring a growler. <laughs> but you know that that's part of my uh, my survivalist spirit here. <laughs> You know what? That's one of the best things I ever did was moving to kegging. It can be kind of a pain to learn, yeah. You know how to get things done right and everything. But the the first time that I filled that keg, pressurized it, and put it in the fridge, and just thought, and I'm done. And I'm done, right? <laughs> it, was just a, it was a great feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I figure I have to learn sometime and uh, better uh, cut my hands open at home instead of doing it on the first day of <laughs> brew of having a brewery <laughs> so do you have um do you have a favorite beer you like to brew i mean i know I, I hate being asked if i have a favorite beer i like to drink right at least with me it changes every like two weeks yeah definitely 
Yeah, I think over the years in the band, we sort of decided, and this is kind of like a Malcolm Gladwell blink sort of thing, but it's uh, the best beers are, are the ones you're having at great moments. Uh, you can have a fantastic beer like a Westie 12 or, or, you know, something from the brewery. I don't know, they've got so many great beers or, you know, you name it, a Heady Topper or something. But but if you're having a Heady Topper and you're, uh, you're uh, you know, sitting in your car and... Uh, and you just got in a car accident. I don't know if that's a, a great. Well, no, it's pretty memorable, I suppose. It's a memorable moment, but uh, you know, uh, but it's when you've uh, hiked to the top of a mountain with your friends and you're standing. Even a, even a, uh, well, I don't say even a, a Budweiser would taste good up there. But, but <laughs> you know, it's the moment, though. You know, like a, 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 so I'd say my favorite beer to brew. Um, I'm just going to go with what I had the best luck brewing. <laughs> and that was a barley wine that, uh, uh, is four years old now and it's just getting better all the time. And it was pretty good when I first brewed it, it was a little too hoppy and, uh, for a barley wine anyway. But, um, I mean, by today's hoppy standards, it's nothing, but, uh, just to be able to taste it every few months and have it get better and better. It's been an amazing process to, to see how that went and, and has uh, made me appreciate uh, aged beers a lot more. I mean, I always like barley wines, but I think it was just because, ah, they're big and no one I know orders them and, and I can sound like I'm cool and, mm. and uh, you know, they've got a lot of alcohol and all that kind of stuff. And, but over the years, it's been this refinement process, you know, uh, yeah. for my own palate and, to be able to go back to that beer and say, "Oh, okay, this is this is still going." I think I think this is my favorite. I don't know if I've I've had a favorite yet. I made a really good, uh, I'd say, a double IPA recently. It was my first. Oh yeah, awesome. Once I got the the CO two kind of leveled out, I think it was my favorite. But uh huh, I, I kind of agree with you. It goes every one I do correctly is my favorite. Yeah, you're just like so excited it worked. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't just waste the the money for all the ingredients and the right. brewing. Yeah, I love that sort of. Um, uh, what would it be? Um, I don't say. Uh, I don't know the process where I sit around and try and come up with a rationalization for for the beer. So I sit there and go, hmm. well, um, yeah, it's it's a. It's a hoppy brown ale. It's a, you know I have to come up with a invent a style for what what ended up happening that wasn't exactly to the recipe I used. So I guess kind of going from the the home brewing to, um, the, you know the big reason that I wanted to talk to you was the the new brewery, the Liberation Brewing Company, and I know it's Liberation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know we're very super new in 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 the infancy of of it, so there's not an enormous amount of information out there, but, you know, what's, well, you met, kind of mentioned the, the start of the idea, but, um, you know, what, what kind of got you from the start of the idea to, you know, what, wherever you are now, that's there enough to talk about. Well, we, uh, I guess what made it a reality was, I mean, a lot of people sit around and talk about what they would do in a brewery and how they would make, you know, what type of beers they would make and, how fun it would be. But we started really to just pound out the financials and, and look at, you know, I mean, obviously we weren't planning to get rich on it or anything. Nothing you do for passion's sake, uh, 
that shouldn't necessarily be the the motivation. Yeah. But you want to be able to make batch after batch, and you want to be able to get it to the people in a timely manner, and and uh, that kind of thing. So once we started running the numbers and figured out our sort of version of what it would be, uh, and and that it it actually didn't equal negative, we we're like, okay, well this isn't such a far off thing. You know, this isn't just a bunch of daydreamers. You know, uh, this isn't the beer talking here. <laughs> this, is, yeah. this might actually work. And so each time we sort of press ahead and, uh, uh, you know, whether it's getting advice from a pro brewer or um, talking to someone at the city or things like that, the doors start to open a little bit each, you know, a little bit more, uh, the, the metaphorical doors. And uh, I don't know, it's, I'm not a religious person, but it's definitely um, interesting to watch how when you put it out there, people help you. You know, they they say yes. To, as soon as you start saying yes to things, other people say yes to things. And people could just like you, you you wrote me on Twitter, and all of a sudden now we're talking about Liberation Brewing on on a, on a format here. And it's like uh, it's just a weird, weird thing. And and uh, so I'm just trying to say yes to more things. And uh, so yeah, I mean, I've got partners that a uh, couple, including uh, Brewer Eric. I've got another friend that. We've been, you know, he's the conservative one, and I'm the I'm the crazy madman goofball, and uh, so between us, <laughs> it it ends up being a, a fairly uh, responsible project. So he doesn't want me to talk too much about things, but uh, <laughs> but I think that I think it was definitely nailing down the math that made it a reality, you know, and not just like oh, wouldn't it be great? I mean, everybody I know sits around and goes, wouldn't it be great? But but uh, you know, actually having a uh, a list of equipment and uh, uh, sort of specs on the the lease and all that stuff, adding it all up and and uh, you know that's a different thing when you see it on paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Would you say yet that do you have like an, an initial, uh, I guess, you know, menu of beers that you want to open with? Or, you know, one or two that you're really excited about opening with? Or is that still kind of up in the air? Well, I'd say we have a philosophy. I, we definitely have recipes nailed down. Uh, I don't... I'm not sure I should definitely say what they are. But I'll explain our philosophy. And that's yeah. been that... That, um, uh, that one should master the classics before one... Uh, starts toying around with things. And I, and I equate it to music, uh, especially jazz music, where uh, if you're a young musician and you start playing uh, crazy avant-garde jazz music and no one's ever heard of you before and no one, you know, they're going to listen to you and say, what is this crazy noise, you know? Uh, but if you establish yourself, even if it's for not that long, as someone who can play all the standards and you've played with a couple groups and, you know, and then you start playing far out music, people, people can see the progression. You sort of held their hand a little bit and they're right there with you when you do crazy stuff. So we're, we've been practicing and focusing on mastering the, the classic styles uh, with the intention of then adding oak and smoke and elderberries and angel mm. fart. I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think too many people, uh, Look at like the the dogfish head idea that mm -hmm. you have to make these big crazy beers, 
to right. get people to like them. And, you know, I, while I, I love to go try a big, crazy beer. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, finding a great IPA is just one of the best things ever. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, and I'm not I'm definitely not knocking the people that do that. I mean, they're all, most of especially, uh, like you said, Dogfish Head, and, and here in Southern California, we've got the brewery. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, they just, I mean, they're on another level when it comes to making interesting beers. And so, not that we're afraid of that, but when someone that close is doing that kind of work, you know, you, you, it's intimidating to just go, okay, here's our <laughs> yeah. blackberry pie beer. I mean, obviously we're going to, we're going to get into experimentation and we've done it on the homebrew level, but we feel like, uh, we feel like at least at the beginning, we have to take people along the journey with us. And so that means brewing. Uh, I mean, when you're in the bubble of the craft brew scene, you know, uh, you, it's not a big step to say, okay, this is a Belgian quad, but it also has, uh, you know, uh, strawberries and rhubarb in it or whatever. But if you're someone that drinks Bud Light and the occasional um, uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale or something like that, that's a huge step. So we're gonna we're gonna start with the intermediate. You know, <laughs> here's a Belgian blonde, here's an amber, here's a. Uh, Maybach, you know, things like that. Yeah, but, you know, and even if you look at, like, the brewery or Dogfish Head, you know, while those are great beers to have, I think people like to try those beers because they know that they're good because they had 60-minute, 90-minute. Sure, um, yeah. You, you know, so you get a new brewery that has these wild, crazy beers, well, you don't have that history with them, you know, so I think that's a probably one of the best methodologies that you could follow. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. It's not in my nature to be conservative, but I feel like uh, I, I just, I, from experience, uh, you know, uh, whether it's politics or or flavor profiles or anything like that, it helps to, even if you're way out on the fringe, uh, you have to give someone a path to follow, you know, to, to at least meet you. There, you have to meet them halfway at least to sort of, you know, uh, get their um, get their attention. Otherwise, they just don't, don't take you seriously at all. Yeah, no, I mean, I I agree with you totally, and yeah, I I wouldn't expect you to tell me the you know to have a, a full list of the beers that you guys are going to start brewing. Yet. <laughs> You know, any well, of those well we have because... to we have to come up with our silly names, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you have to you have to figure out the hot puns. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's so funny. That's the that's like so when we're planning things for the brewery, you know, the uh, Eric the brewer, he doesn't really chime in all that often on the business side of things. You know, he's very content to to brew beer and roll his eyes at us at, at the uh, to uh, me and my my other friend and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but that's one of the things he put his foot down about. He's like, no hot puns, you know. And then he went back to not talking again. <laughs> now, see, that's one of our favorite drinking games with my friends. Is once we have a couple, we 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 come up with hot puns. <laughs> yeah, try to think up the the worst hot pun to just stop everyone else and and be. Oh, done with definitely. It. Yeah, I told him. I said, man, you just limited like half the jokes I have in my whole world. <laughs> yeah, I. Oh, I appreciate a good hot pun, but I also appreciate the, you know, 
a nice non-hot punny kind of name <laughs> well like being in a ska band that was our our thing to do, sit around and in, in the backstage and come up with the most ridiculous ska band names that all had ska in the, <laughs> in oh, the course, name you know yeah. Yeah. yeah so it goes along that line i guess <laughs> yeah it's kind of kind of funny how things end up uh connecting together later yeah 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 right yeah i guess with you making the move from home brewing and you know talking to the home brewers and hanging out with those guys to uh, to the actual pro world is it yeah you know is that an easy move do you think or are you noticing a real day and night difference of you know holy cow this is real um it's yeah it's a huge it's a huge undertaking it's pretty scary i mean i'm pretty cavalier about it because of the luck i had with real big fish um so I can walk around saying, well, I, you know, started a company when I was 16 and we grossed millions of dollars over the years. And, you know, not that we have mansions or anything like that, but we were able to pay our bills for 20, in my case, for 20 years. And, you know, uh, uh, it was the verge of bankruptcy on a weekly basis, but it, it, at least I had a job and I was playing music and it, it was a career, you know, and that's most people can't say that, especially playing trombone. And, uh, so you know, I I would pat myself on the back and say, say that I you know was this genius businessman. Meanwhile, it was you know a lot of people working together that made it happen, and uh, and so the realities of putting a business together, um, even though I'm older and wiser, um, I mean everything's going to be a learning experience, and you just I I just have to uh, I've learned I just have to accept everybody's advice and not roll my eyes at things and think I know more or better. And because uh, most people are speaking from experience and you can read all the books in the world, but, but, uh, uh, firsthand experience advice from your peers and your, uh, you know, the other maestros out there that have done it before. It's just invaluable. Um, yeah. And, and there's definitely going to be this huge learning curve when we, you know, it's, it's written in our business plan that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, while we've, we've worked for, you know, over a year on this, what we think is this brilliant map of how to, how to start a nano brewery. We know as soon as we, we, uh, 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 find the site and start dealing with things, uh, in, on a physical sense of, of building the brewery itself, that everything's going to go wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That it's just going to be this daily process of troubleshooting. (laughs) And so even though we think we've worked out every contingency, uh, that's part of the game is that, uh, you know, everything else is going to (laughs) happen. And so at least we're ready for it on a mental level. Well, there's that old saying, you know, it's not the number of problems you have, it's the quality of them. (laughs) Right. Definitely. I feel like one of the skills I picked up in my years of traveling the world is the ability to um, improvise on the fly. You know, you get on the wrong train and you're suddenly uh, seven miles outside of Paris and late for sound check. You know, you somehow get get back into town and cobble together some French and get in a cab and things like that. And hmm. um, so I'm hoping, based on homebrew skill, homebrewing skill, and uh, and uh, uh, my ability to improvise on the fly, we won't totally break down <laughs> every day. <laughs> but you know what? I I do think that it's, I don't. I wasn't as surprised when I saw that you were moving from making music to making beer because. Yeah, in all honesty, it's all it's all creation. You know, I don't think yeah a lot of people yeah. give 
brewers and craft beer as a whole credit for being a real art form. So Oh, it most definitely is. And it's one of the oldest, just like music. I mean, we're this is one of the things that draws me to beer. It's not just that it's a great drink, it's that this is ancient. You know, this is to me, this follows along with the story of of civilization. You know, and and uh and just like music being this huge moment, uh, or art, you know, okay, we, we, we have the cave paintings when man first started to describe what was going on around him. Um, we have those moments of, of, uh, when man started to brew beer, you know, sort of, uh, solidified in history. Like this was a huge step. We came out of the trees. We stopped, we stopped being hunter gatherers and nomads and we built cities for this reason. And it's, uh, it's, it's monumental. And I think it, it, not to get like, you know, too philosophical, (laughs) <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is what makes us uh, civilized, I think. And if we have enough, uncivilized. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, totally. And I have you know talked to other people about kind of that same idea. And um, there's a, a book I can't remember the the author's name, uh, but it's called the uh, Joy of Fermentation. Uh huh. Um, or I'm sorry, Art of Fermentation. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sandor Katz, that's the guy's name. Right, um, right. And he actually just talks all about fermenting basically everything possible in it and the history of <laughs> fermentation. But he actually touches on why do people love beer and people. Uh, so, so the uh, art of fermentation. Um, he actually mentions that you know why do people why have people fermented beverages for so many years and you know why has it always been a part of culture and it's that maybe people are actually you know, built to like that, just like you're built to like proteins and sugars and, you know, things like that. So you're actually kind of building on one of the basics of civilization and, you know, people. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Gosh, and I wonder, you know, maybe he talks about this in this book. I'm just riffing on this here, but, you know, the same way our guts are full of bacteria and all kinds of, uh, would be fauna, <laughs> you know, in our intestines and things like that that help in the in the digestion process and even disease fighting and all that kind of thing. Uh, I wonder if if beer has something to do with that. You know, having those live cultures, you know, that it's part of our biology. Even who knows? Yeah, it's just you know, for as much as the you know, the the government tries to inhibit alcohol and alcohol sales and all of that, you know, from state to state, it's interesting to see that might actually be, you know, a base level kind of brain thing, not just something that you like to drink. (laughs) Sure. It's it's interesting, right? They can't, you can't put nutritional information on a beer bottle because it implies that it's nutritious. Yeah. But you can't even write that, you know, it has this much sugar in it and this much salt and as many carbohydrates or something something that you know doesn't necessarily claim you know make it nutritious but it's it's weird that the idea that nutritional information implies nutritiousness <laughs> so you can't do it at all well, that's where i get my b vitamins from all of my uh Belgian yeah stuff. yeah <laughs> well yeah, to be honest that was really everything i had to to talk to you about you know i really thankful you had a little bit of time uh, oh yeah no trouble i can talk all night you know i'm i'm uh, a. <laughs> uh 
Well, it's from years of killing killing time on the tour bus and and telling stories. <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I was really glad you could take a little bit of time. I'm sure, you know, now that you're actually home on a regular basis with the family, they're happy to see you and like to actually have some more time. Yeah, I'm just getting to know them. <laughs> I met my wife uh, uh, while I was already in the band, and you know we kind of left on tour uh, right around then, and 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 so uh, you know even though we've been married a dozen years at this point, I'm like, hey, we finally get to actually be together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the chance to talk to you and uh, uh, and you know wax philosophical about beer. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, well, for everyone else listening, uh, if you want to talk to Dan um, himself, he's on Twitter, uh, Real Big Dan. Are you yep. keeping that um, that name for a while? Yeah, yeah. You know, if I if I change it, I'll lose all my friends. <laughs> Twitter's very strict about that, and I'd rather keep all my friends and be able to to uh, in a hundred and forty characters spar with everybody on the internet than uh, than have to start over and meet everybody again. <laughs> Uh, what is the uh, Liberation Brewing Company's uh, Twitter account? I didn't. Uh, we're LB underscore Nano. Uh, yeah, so LB underscore N-A-N-O. Um, or you could probably do a search just for Liberation Brewing Company. And uh, same thing at Facebook. It's it's just Liberation Brewing Company. And we're even on uh, Instagram. All one word, Liberation Brewing. Uh, I'm trying that? to... Try to keep people entertained, you know. <laughs> so you're you're on Instagram too, Liberation Dan, right? Yeah, yeah. I switched from Real Big Dan to Liberation Dan as sort of a hint early on that I was making some changes. Huh. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, if you you know everyone listening, if you want to follow them, um, you know that's basically what gave me the idea to talk to you. So. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, call me anytime. Yeah, I, I might take you up on that. We'll, we'll have to keep in touch about how the brewery's going, and uh, we'll have to have a rehash call later. Yeah, I definitely like to call and have some uh, some real information for you, and you know, like an address or something. You know, that'd be great one of these days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, do I do I graduate? Did I graduate from Craft Beer Academy, or do I still need to do some push-ups? I would say once I get a sample beer in the mail. Yeah, it, that's that's full graduation. <laughs> okay, great. I, I I understand that system. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a big I'm a big fan of that system. I fully support it, and basically how we roll here. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> well, great talking to you, Brian. Yeah, you too, Dan. Hey, thanks a lot. Um, you know, we'll we'll talk again soon when we can actually say when you're launching and when people can buy your beer. Awesome. Cheers, buddy. Hey, cheers. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Craft Beer Showdown podcast. Make sure to check out craftbeeracademy.com for more information and to give feedback on today's show. Don't forget to watch the next episode live on Google Plus Hangouts or YouTube by going to craftbeeracademy.com slash live dash show.